0: Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. How are we doing today? Welcome to Father's Day. I'm sure you all have plans, and as I've told the teachers already, I expect what I have to say today to be brief. Can't promise it, though. Today is Father's Day. Now, how many of you feel like uh Father's Day's kind of been overshadowed by the Blues victory? Is that fair to say? You know? That's okay. <laughs> that was your present, Mike. But anyway, guys, it is Father's Day and, uh, Father's Day is a, is a made up holiday. Let's be honest. I have told my children, I said, I much prefer to have you all at my house for dinner on a Tuesday in March than I do to have you there on a Sunday in June. Because you're doing it. I know on a Tuesday in March you're there because you want to be. Okay? And too many times we forget both our mothers and our fathers during the rest of the year. And we give them the most recognition only on those days. And so I encourage you to do that. Uh, take my challenge for every day to be Mother's and Father's Day and to honor your mother and father in those capacities. But anyway, Alan asked how many of you here are fathers. I want to know how many of you have a father. Okay, if you don't have your hand up, you have a problem. All right. It's Father's Day. you got to have a dad joke, right? Guys, I am a father. And being a father has been the most rewarding and the most frustrating job that I've ever had. Wait till your grandpa... It gets better, I'm told, right? Okay. Yeah, well, that ain't that ain't even on the radar yet So all I'm telling you. That, from everything I understand. Um, I, I enjoy it now. I enjoy being a father now. It still has its frustrations, without a doubt. But when we were first parents, Susan talks about this now, you know, we bring that first baby home and like, what am I supposed to do? You know, how do you know why it's crying? You know, is it is it hungry? Is it dirty? Is it just being a terrorist? You know, when do you just let it cry? I was a fan of that. Let them cry, they'll cry themselves out. That's not always the best thing to do. But ultimately, and especially as as, as the children as more children came and they got older, I really felt like I was missing something. Okay? I I really did and the reality of the situation for me was that uh I thought it should all be easy. I thought it should just come natural and uh I thought Susan and I would agree about how to do everything when it comes to kids. Be laughing at and the reality which i was which very difficult for me to come to grips with is that i have a real problem with fantasy and reality okay i i had dreamed of being a father and a husband for years the reality of that is drastically different i don't know how many of you feel that way but it's like all of a sudden you get there and it's like I must not have taken the prerequisite for this class. And I go, I'm missing something. And guys, today, we're in the middle of a series called Word Power. And we are talking about the power of God's Word. Two weeks ago, I talked about how to live a powerless life, and we looked at the life of Jehoiakim, and how he responded to God's Word. And then last week, Mike Dennius looked at how to live a powerful life, and we looked at Jehoiakim's father, Josiah, who was responded entirely differently to God's Word. And today, we're going to take a little bit of a laid-back approach. I don't know if you noticed, there's no blanks in the notes today. Gave you fathers an easy day off, okay? I know how much effort it takes to fill in those blanks. Um, but I decided to back off and to do things a little bit different uh, and just to talk about the way we approach the Word. Because the same way that as a father, I thought, I'm missing something. I felt that before in my relationship with God and specifically the way I was approaching God's Word. Have you ever done that? You're reading your Bible. You're trying to live for God. But things just ain't working out the way you think they should. They're not going the way you want them to. In fact, you may even think, hey, God, you're not answering me. You're not paying attention to me. And the truth of the matter is, there's times how we approach God's Word is important. And it may be a reality that you are indeed missing something. And so guys, as I, I want to start out talking about today, just some incomplete ways of approaching God's Word. Now I want to preface this. I've got about five incomplete ways of approaching God's Word. Each of these ways needs to be involved in your approach of God's Word or your understanding of God's Word. But when any of them are taken individually without the others, there's a problem. Okay? And the first approach that's incomplete is what I'm going to call is a legalistic way. And that is, what's legalistic? Well, if you're just looking for what boxes to check. What am I supposed to do? What am I not supposed to do? Now, obviously, God is concerned. There's certain things He wants you to do. And there's certain things He doesn't want you to do. But it goes well beyond that. And this passage here in Matthew 23 shows this very clearly. This is Jesus talking to some Pharisees of His day who were the most religious people of their day. And the Pharisees and legalism are synonymous. And look at what Jesus has to say to these people here. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees! You hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices. Mint, dill, and cumin. But you neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you clean out the inside of the cup, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean out the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside also will be clean. What's Jesus saying here? You know my rules, you know the laws, but you don't understand what those laws are there for. There's more to be learned than just checking off the boxes. Later on in the New Testament, Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 2. He says, Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, but their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Guys, God is concerned with what we do and how we live. But if all we focus in on is the do's and the don'ts, the rules and the regulations, what I can do and what I can't do, You're missing it. There's more to it than that. The second incomplete way of approaching God's Word is what I call the touchy-feely way. Okay? What is that? That means when you go to God's Word and your primary purpose to go to God's Word is to feel good. Okay? If you feel bad, you want reassurance. Okay? If you're going to have a quiet time, you're going to go to the book of Psalms and try to find things that make you feel good. And you don't think you should ever feel bad, guilty, shameful. You just want to feel good. And what happens then is you reject anything that makes you feel bad. And then you end up like Jehoiakim, two week, we looked two weeks ago, who literally, when the Word of God was read to him, and it was condemning the way he was living, he burned it. You only accept the things that make you feel good, feel loved, feel accepted. Third way, incomplete way, is just be concerned about doctrine. In 1 Timothy 4:16, Paul told Timothy to watch your life and your doctrine carefully. And to persevere in those things, and if you will do, you'll save both yourselves and your hearers. Is doctrine important? Shake your head this way. Okay? Is it the only thing that's important? No. I know people, guys, who they just want to, be, they just believe that they want to make sure they believe everything correctly when they die. And they're scared they won't. And they're far more focused on what they believe and what they teach than they are about how they live. I don't know if you've ever experienced a church like this. I've, been to churches like this and what they talk about is what's right and how everybody else is wrong. Now, I'm 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 embarrassed to say that I've 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 been there on some of that. I wasn't there totally completely, but you know, if I ran into another believer, my first focus was going to be how can I convince them that this doctrine they believe is wrong? It wasn't. Hey, here's another follower of Jesus. Let's see how we can agree and help each other. Maybe that's a better approach than you know you, you really weren't baptized the right way and you're really lost and going to hell. Guys, it's an incomplete way. God's concerned about doctrine, but not completely. The last incomplete way is like I was what I'm going to call looking for the lottery numbers, looking for the big payoff before you get to heaven you know the, the sermon series coming up after this is going to be looking at the life of joseph and as a lot of you know uh joseph, the story of joseph and his life has been a huge influence on my life it was it was a, a major focus for me during my struggle with depression and by the way if you want to Prepare yourself for that sermon series. I encourage you to go back and read the story of Joseph. It's in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. Or if you really want to get background on his family, you can start down around chapter 15. Ah, just read the whole book of Genesis. It's, it's, it's a good book, I'm told. Um, But the story of Joseph is 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 remarkable in the sense that he is separated from his family, sold into slavery by brothers who hate him, spends 13 years as a slave and as a prisoner, totally, completely unjust. And then two events happen, which is like him winning the lottery. One is he is brought from prison to literally running the country. Pharaoh makes him second in command, but Pharaoh more or less says, yeah, you take over. You run the place. I'm going kick back and relax. And then the second thing is, nine years later, he's reunited with his family who thought he was dead. And guys, there's a, this there's a, there's a lottery feel to it. Anybody ever dreamed of win in the lottery? You know? You ever watch Shark Tank and think, I'm going to get my big idea someday. As a businessman, that's how I think. Guys, there's there's examples of that happening in the Bible, but that is never promised in the Bible. Okay? I believe we're all going to get a lottery payday. You know when that's going to be? When Jesus comes back. Alright? And guys, when you look at that, those are what I'm going to call five incomplete ways of looking at the Bible. And as it being incomplete, they have a degree of inaccuracy to them. And so now, all I want to talk about today, I want to get to is just two more accurate ways of viewing the Bible. And the first thing I want to say is, is, a, is a way to, more accurate way of looking at the Bible is as God revealing to us. It's a revelation. One of the things I've come to understand much more thoroughly than I did in my past uh, over the last few years is that there is one storyline in the Bible. Did you know that? From beginning to end. It is one storyline. You open it up and you, you read about what God did. You read His intentions in creating the world. You read about how man screwed that up and rebelled against God and wanted to be our own God and rule our own lives. And then the rest of the story is about how man continues down this path and how God has a plan to get His creation back. I was, it was it was it was it was incredible. Uh, Alan referred me to a uh, a recording several weeks ago. It was a discussion. I think you presented it to me as a debate. It was not a debate. It was a discussion between a Bible teacher by the name of Steve Gregg and an atheist radio DJ. And I don't know if it was a talk show. It must have been a talk show. The guy does because they talked for well over an hour. And the the talk show host was an was an atheist. Him and Greg had worked together on a on a uh, radio show years ago and uh, he'd invited Steve. I don't know how they got back in in touch with each other, but the the talk show host is reading through the Bible. He says, I'm an atheist. I love the guy's honesty. He says, I like to sin. You know, very honest. He also says, I want to believe. But he's reading through the Bible, he's telling Steve at the beginning of the conversation. And he says... I made it through Isaiah. I'm in the end of Isaiah. And Steve's like, wow. You know, you're reading the Bible. He goes, I really do want to believe. And he says, "Tell me, spoil things a little bit for me. Tell me what's coming. He goes, because I get the impression that somebody's coming. He's reading the Bible on his own. This atheist is. And as he just reads it, I'm assuming kind of like a book, he's going, he's getting the clear picture somebody's coming. And he asked Steve later in the conversation, he goes, who is that? Who's coming? And Steve got to tell him, it's Jesus. And you see, guys, that's the whole deal. God predicted Jesus was going to come in Genesis 3. And he did that repeatedly in the Old Testament to where this non-believer is able to go, God's trying to tell us somebody's coming here. So Jesus came. He fulfilled God's will. And now what has he promised? He's coming back. One story. And God's revealed that to us, guys. But it goes well beyond that. And it's opened my eyes up to so many things to see this. It's a revel, it reveals to me what's going on in the world around me today. How many of you think the world stinks? I do. Okay, you wake up every morning and all you see, you see problem after problem after problem. Watch the news. Okay, go to whatever news website you want, uh, go to Facebook, and you will find that there are problems in the world. Guys, okay, let me read a passage to you? This won't be on the screen because I just decided to add it a few minutes ago, but it's in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. It said the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Does that explain anything to you? When you look at what's going on in the world, does that explain to you what's going on in Washington? Does that help? Guys, what that does to me is that helps me to not put my hope in the government. To not put my hope in the economy. To not put my hope in mankind getting it right when I see prejudice and racism in the world today. I understand I'm never going to change. God hasn't been able to change all that. And my hope shouldn't be on that. My hope should be when God, when Jesus comes back and He sets things straight. And guys, when you understand that there's one story to the Bible, and when you understand, when you look at it, as God is revealing things to us, it changes things. My wife and I were talking yesterday on the way home, and she was saying... uh I don't remember what she was saying cuz she was talking and I probably wasn't listening very well. But we we were she was saying something. <laughs> I was paying attention at the time. I just can't remember it word for word. And uh we were talking about the reality of the spiritual influences on this world. You see guys, right in the beginning of the Bible, God it says that God created the heavens and the earth. Those are two I don't care which way you want to look them. Two different worlds, two different realities, two d- different dimensions, two different spheres. They're there. God, I've heard it described as God space and man's space is another way to put that. And there was a union or an overlapping or a, a gelling that was going on in the beginning where God came to earth and walked with man and talked with man. And after man sinned, there was a separation between those two 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 worlds, two realities, two spaces. And we only get glimpses of what's going on in the heavenly realms, don't we? But your Bible gives you a lot of glimpses if you'll open your eyes and look at them. And my wife and I were talking about this, and I said, Do you, do you ever... Wonder why God said you shall have no other gods before me? Why would he tell you to not have other gods before me if there were no other gods? Okay, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm, please stow with me. I'm going to say there is God, big G, little G gods is what I'm saying. Okay, they are not equal with God. There are beings in the heavenly realms that have rebelled against God, and they do have some power, some authority. In the book of Daniel, one of them described as a prince of Persia that the angel was fighting against. And he gives us glimpses into these things. And guys, what that means is the heavenly realm has influence over this world we live in. That's why Ephesians 6 is telling us to put on the full armor of God and to take our stand against every power and authority in the heavenly realms. Guys, when it opens your eyes, when you understand that God has revealed things to us, it helps you to understand what's going on in the world and to live in this world in a more productive way as a servant of His. Second thing, guys, more accurate way of viewing the Word of God is as a way to create and grow faith. Do you, do you know that's the purpose of, what the, of the Word of God? In Romans chapter 10, this is what it says. It says, "...consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the Word of Christ." In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, Now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Guys, those two passages, when you look at them, tell you very plainly that the Word of God was written to create a faith in you, a belief in you that you can't prove. That you are going to believe in things that you don't have absolutely empirical evidence to support. And the truth of the matter is, and I've said this before, I'll continue saying this to anybody that will listen, every person in the world has a faith of some sort. The atheist has a faith that there is no God and they cannot prove it. Science is based far more on faith once you investigate it than it is fact. Okay? If you go go into the laws of physics and the scientific theorems, there are far more theories than there are laws. And my favorite, uh, you've heard of carbon-14 dating where they tell you how old things are? I was doing some investigation on this, uh, a few years back. Carbon-14 dating is based upon something like six or seven assumptions. You know what that means? You know what, if you, if you a logical argument is based on assumptions. What happens if the assumptions aren't true? argument falls apart it's dead it's it's not one of the assumptions is that the amount of carbon in the world has been a constant and it decays at an even rate everything in the world loses its carbon its half-life or whatever it is at a at a consistent evenly predictable rate oh did i tell you they know of exceptions to that there are certain, I want to say some form of sea life, again, I don't have my notes on this, but they sea critter or something that they know, oh no, and, and, and if you test it for its age and they go, well, it's so many millions of years old, well, no, it doesn't apply to that. And that's millions of years is inaccurate. It would only be tens of thousands of years because carbon-14 dating is only accurate to like 40 or 50,000 years and they use other methods. My whole point, my whole point, is there 's not so much fact there, it is faith, so you are going to have a faith of some some kind you are going to believe in something that you cannot prove beyond a shadow of a doubt. The Bible is designed to give you enough facts from God that you will create faith in you, and just like the atheist who was reading through the Bible that I referred to earlier. He was seeing, somebody's coming. Something's going to happen. And it's going to change the way you think and act. Now, I don't know about you, but I would prefer to not live by faith. Anybody with me? I would like think for life to be predictable and, uh, yeah, predictable. And easy, by the way. Easy. I am going through something right now. I've been declaring to the world and anybody who will listen that I am in a grieving process right now. It started on Tuesday of this week. Okay, now normally you think of grief and you think of somebody dying. That is not what's happening. Grieving is merely the letting go of one reality and the accepting of a new reality. Okay, when somebody dies, the reality is they've always been a part of your life. If it's a parent or a grandparent, they've always been there and the new reality is they're gone. But that can cover so many things. It can be the, the loss of a dream. Okay? It can be a divorce. The losing of one reality, the beginning the accepting of another. But uh this week at the car wash, I came home and I had to tell my wife. I said, "I'm going through a grieving process." And she says, "What's that?" And I said, Jonathan and Joe want me out of the way. And I was stepping out of the way. There was a chemical rep in town who was training them and he said, you did a good job of staying out of our way. And it has become apparent that I am slowing them down. The right, by the way, okay? Okay. Now now, 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 the truth of this situation is, when I bought this car wash over here in Cottage Hills four and a half years ago, I bought it with this exact intention in mind—that it would require less attention from me, but still pay me money. That's isn't that accurate. I mean, I, I have a desire to give more attention to the things of the kingdom of God than I do to earning a living and supporting my family. And that was the whole intention of it, and we've been working towards that for the last four and a half years. We brought Jonathan on board specifically with that in mind. He is owner in training is his title. That means he is going to be taking over for me. Which means I want to be out of the way. And now here, my fantasy is becoming reality. And it's harder than I thought it would be. And do you want to know why it's harder? I know why. Because it means I let go of control. I get out of the way. And I am... Trusting God that they won't screw it up. Is that fair to say? I mean, because this is what I did I bought it in faith. I bought it because I said, this is going to provide income for me, and I can back away from it. And now the rubbers meet in the road, and I have to tr- tr- decide if my faith is real or not. And guys, it's very exciting. But guys, I think I've made enough decisions like that in my life. I think it should be easier. And the truth of the matter is, God is calling every one of you, every follower of His, to live by faith. To take action in this world, trusting that He's going to make things right. He wants you to be his representative in this world with the resources that you have and to expend those resources on his behalf and trust that he's going to give you more. Trust that he's going to take care of you. And that is the type of faith that the word of God is designed to create in you. That is its intention. Look at this one passage and then I'll be closing out. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 18-20. through 20. This is where God's giving instruction to the people and He's telling them basically, hey, one of these days you're going to want a king. You shouldn't want a king, but you're going to want a king. You're going to have a king. And this is what I want Him to do. It says, when He takes the throne of His kingdom, He is to write for Himself on a scroll a copy of this law. Taken from that of the Levitical priests, it is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over His kingdom in Israel. Guys, what is He telling them? I want the King that is leading you to have faith. And He went beyond just... How many of you have trouble reading your Bible every day? Imagine if you had to write it all first. Copy it all down. That's what He wants the King to do, guys. Because you want the King to have faith. And the Word of God is designed to create in you that kind of faith. And when you go to it for anything short of that, you're missing it. You're missing it. You see, guys, we just had an incredible example of of, of faith happen right here near us when when the Blues won the Stanley Cup. Do you not know that? I mean, those... Blues fans, and I'm happy for you. I'm not a hockey fan at all. I'm happy for you, Blues fans. But you were kind of like Cubs fans. You know? I mean, you were believing something was going to happen, and there was no proof that it was going to happen. In fact, there was a lot of proof that it was not going to happen. (laughs) What's that... The papers sell First the Red Sox in 04, the Cubs in whenever, and now the Blues, right? I heard somebody tell me the, uh, the next in line is the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's, it's, it's warming up. I mean, it's freezing over, but it's not there yet. Guys, I want to tell you something. Our faith is very similar to that because we are hoping for something. We are planning on something. That the evidence ain't as clear as we'd like it to be. And let me tell you, when that hope, when that faith that happened in St. Louis yesterday won't be squat. It's going to be so incredible when Jesus comes back. Guys, I I encourage you in your approach to God's Word. Understand that God's revealing things to you about the world and He wants you to have a faith. Let's pray and we'll be done. Father, You are incredible. It is amazing when I allow You to open my eyes and I really dig into Your Word and I really seek after You what You show me. And Father, I'm nothing special and, and nobody else in this room except that we are your children and you want us to know these things. Father, I pray right now you can touch our hearts to truly, to truly understand the way Abraham lived by faith and David lived by faith and Moses lived by faith. You want us to live by faith in that same way, to trust You, to believe in You, and to take action based off what You've said. Father, we are Your representatives in the world today. That's why we are to reflect Your glory and we are to become like Jesus. Father, help us to choose that and to dig into Your Word to help us to live that way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.